See, they'd be singing those songs all day long. So by the time they got to church on a Tuesday night, it didn't take three songs and a prayer meeting to get them excited. They walked in the house with victory. They walked in the house with power. I wonder if somebody would just put your hands together and give God a great praise. It feels good in the house of the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. You can go back to your seats. Just remain standing. Grab your Bibles. Tonight I want to hasten to the word of the Lord. Amen. How many of you are thankful for what the Lord's doing in this place? Come on, are you thankful for what we've been experiencing in this house? Amen. What an awesome move of God we had this weekend, Sunday morning when the Lord was done in this place. We baptized Ashley in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins. And then just a little ways across the water at our campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, Sunday morning, they baptized another young man in Jesus' name named Charleston for the remission of his sins. He received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, how many of y'all thankful for that? I want you to help me continue to pray for the work in Haiti. We are uh, in prayer right now and in, in consideration, uh, trying to allow God to open the doors to purchase our very first campus property there in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And uh, God is doing some amazing things, and we're believing God for miracle after miracle. Amen. And uh, God's doing great things. What an exciting week is in front of us. Last week, uh, all of the Bible study groups had record attendance. Amen. God's doing amazing things. This week, do your best to get plugged in. And uh, I'm just telling you, you don't want to miss all of those exciting things. Somebody commented to me uh, about men's Bible study. Brother Steve Lundy, I think, was the, the guest speaker last week. Is that right? The week before? Was he at Search for Truth Bible study last week? Brother Steve was Search for Truth Bible study last week or the week before. I don't know what it was. What year is this anyway? Sometime in the past couple weeks, and somebody commented, said, Brother Steve Lundy is one of the best Bible study teachers they ever heard. My God, just do whatever you got to do to make it to Bible study this week. Amen. And uh, God is doing some great things. I want to get back into the word of the Lord tonight. I'm excited. Last week, we began teaching slash preaching on the seven pillars of wisdom. How many of you were here last week? Amen. And uh, so many incredible uh, things in the word of the Lord concerning this subject. And I knew that we would not be able to do it in one service. And so I, I preached some of it last week, taught some of it last week. And as I was preparing for service tonight, and trying to gauge uh, how much uh, of this we could make it through tonight, I decided to take 
what I was going to teach tonight and break it into two lessons. Uh, unless y'all just want to hang out till about 10 o'clock tonight. The, the nays have it. <laughs> Amen. But uh, so what I want to do tonight, I'm going to preach a part of this. And uh, I, I'm going to try not to hold you long tonight. But I want to preach another part of this that will help us transition into what I want to teach in the next lesson. So in the way of review, and uh, we're going to be going to the book of John tonight, chapter 4. While you're turning there, in the way of review... Last week, we took a look at the subject of wisdom, understanding that wisdom is part of the constitution of who God is. You cannot separate wisdom from God. Not only is wisdom a part of God, who God is, but wisdom is something that God wants us to have. It is a communicable attribute of God. So much so, in fact, that the book of James declares that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And so we remember the scripture said that wisdom is the primary thing. Wisdom is, is the important thing. In one place, one man admonished another and said, with all thy getting, get understanding. Amen. And so it is our endeavor to take a look at this tonight. If it is uh, incumbent upon us as Christians to get wisdom that God has for us, I want to know how to do it. Amen. And I want to know what the Bible has to say about wisdom in my life. And so I want to go to the book of John chapter number 4 there in the book of John chapter actually let's let's go uh, let's go to uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 9 and uh, I want to read that again tonight this is the verse that we used to launch from last week Proverbs chapter 9 verse number 1 says Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. Amen. You can be seated tonight. As we begin to study wisdom, there is a phrase that we find in the word of the Lord that is important for us to look at tonight, and that is the mention of the seven spirits of God. This is worth taking a look at tonight because to somebody who may be new at studying the word of the Lord and new in their walk with God, they may not understand the expression, the seven spirits of God. And not only is this an important subject to understand, but in, it coincides with the revelation of the seven pillars of wisdom. The word of the Lord in the book of John chapter 4 declares to us that God is a spirit. Tell your neighbor, God is a spirit. 
Read for me John chapter 4 verse 24. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Read it one more time like you preaching, boy. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I love this verse because it lets me know that it is not just about information, but it is also about the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. You can't just have truth, uh, you've got to have spirit. And you can't just have the spirit, uh, you have to have truth. Uh, if your worship is going to be what God wants it to be, he is looking for those who will worship him uh, in spirit uh, and in truth. Uh, I want the word of God. Uh, I want the truth of the doctrine of the word of God. Uh, and while I have the doctrine uh, and the truth of what's written in his word, uh, I want the power of the Holy ghost uh, in my worship. Uh, that's why we don't come to church uh, like a bunch of deadheads uh, or bumps on a dill pickle uh, because we've got the spirit uh, of life uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, you want to know why we run and dance and jump? Uh, it's because of the life uh, of the spirit of God uh, that is in us. God is a spirit. And then Paul declares in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that not only is he a spirit, uh, but that there is one spirit. Read for me Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. There is one body and one spirit. God is a spirit. Uh, Ephesians says that there is uh, one spirit. And so where does the term the seven spirits of God come from? The apostle Paul on the Isle of Patmos, when he was receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is worth mentioning here that so many times we misstate the name of this book as the book of Revelations, and we put an S on the end of it. But if you look down at your Bible, you will understand that there is no S at the end of this book. It is the book of Revelation. Why? Because there is one revelation in this book, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, as John is receiving this revelation, he introduces us to this thematic principle of the seven spirits of God. Read for me the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse number 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne. From the seven spirits which are before the throne. Read chapter 4 and verse number 5. And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. There were seven lamps burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits 
of God. Read chapter 5 and verse number 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. John gives us this imagery that he sees a lamb that was slain. And this lamb had seven horns and it had seven eyes. And he goes so far as to say that this lamb represented the seven spirits of God. We hear all of this word pictures that come both from John the Revelator. And then again when we begin to read from the prophets of old, Zechariah also begins to speak to us concerning this uh, revelation. Zechariah chapter 3, verse number 9. Read for me. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. He speaks about this foundational stone and he ties it to this wisdom and this understanding of the seven spirits of God. Read chapter 4 and verse number 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet of the, in the hand of Zerubbabel, with whose seven? They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. This cornerstone that is prophesied about in Zechariah is said to have inscribed upon it seven, the seven eyes of the Lord uh, that goeth to and fro in the earth. Uh, as we begin to study further the scriptures, uh, it becomes very clear and very evident to us uh, exactly who the scripture is talking about. Uh, it is noteworthy to mention that there are three things here that we want to look at. Number one is that the seven spirits are before the throne. Number two, these seven spirits are sent forth into all the earth. And thirdly, it is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who has these seven spirits. These seven spirits are representative of the completeness of Christ. It is the prophecy in Zechariah, and it is the revelation by John that these seven spirits are the one spirit of Christ Jesus. In view of these facts, we need to go into the word of the Lord to find out what these seven spirits are. And since they are sent forth into all the earth, we understand that they emanate from the lamb. John said the lamb that was slain. 
This is verbiage that is echoed from the revelation of John the Baptist, who as he is baptizing in the river Jordan, looks at Jesus who is coming and says, Now behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the word of the world. And so these seven spirits emanate from the Lamb. And if they emanate from the Lamb, then they are available to us. And though we could employ many terms from the Scripture to identify these seven spirits, Isaiah seems to identify them the best. In the book of Isaiah, if you're taking notes, write it down, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Read for me. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. And so these seven spirits are attributed to the stem of Jesse, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of fear. He said that these spirits are attributed to the stem and the branch of Jesse, which we know is Jesus Christ. No doubt these are the seven spirits that John witnessed as being before the throne and sent into all of the earth. Today we understand that we receive the comforter, uh, which is the Holy Ghost, uh, through the manifestation uh, of Christ Jesus uh, and his resurrection uh, from the dead. Oh, I feel like preaching tonight. There is a succinct difference between the terms Holy Ghost and the Spirit of the Lord. If you will read your Bible, you will find that nowhere in the Old Testament is the term Holy Ghost mentioned. In reference to the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, uh, it will always say the Spirit uh, of the Lord. Uh, but there is a foundational shift uh, because in the New Testament, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is referred to as uh, the Holy uh, Ghost. Uh, what is the difference? Uh, in the Old Testament, we read that the Spirit of the Lord uh, would come upon people uh, and it would empower them to do uh, certain things almost uh, as a temporary empowerment. Uh, we read about Samson, whom the Bible said uh, that the Spirit of the Lord would come mightily uh, upon Samson. Uh, but Samson was still uh, the same old Samson. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, the Spirit of God was not there uh, just to empower people uh, to do things, uh, but it was there to infill people uh, to become uh, something. 
Jesus said, I am with you, uh, but I shall uh, be in you. Uh, there is another fundamental difference that you must understand, uh, that in the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit of God uh, was different than the Spirit of the Lord in the New Testament. Uh, what do you mean, Pastor Williams? Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit of God was missing uh, the fact uh, that in the New Testament, uh, God robed himself in flesh. Uh, and now it was not just the Spirit of God, uh, but it was the Spirit uh, of human, a human being, uh, the Spirit of man. Uh, and now it was not only the Spirit of man, uh, but it was the Spirit of a man uh, who had overcome sin, uh, who had overcome uh, temptation, uh, who, who, who the Bible said uh, was tempted with all, uh, but was without sin. Uh, Sin. There was an element to the spirit uh, that was added uh, that now included uh, the overcoming power uh, of the spirit of man. Uh, and so the spirit of God uh, in the Old Testament uh, was there to empower. Uh, but the spirit of God in the New Testament uh, was literally uh, the spirit of God that manifested itself uh, in flesh uh, and overcame sin. Uh, for sin. Uh, oh, uh, and so something different happens. Uh, uh, and, and why am I preaching this? Because uh, when you go to so many churches, uh, you will understand their vernacular is different. Uh, they get nervous uh, when somebody says the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so uh, uh, they, they would rather say the, the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. I felt the Spirit uh, of the Lord. And while technically that is a proper way to describe it, those that have experienced that Spirit of God living inside of them understand that it's not just the Spirit of God. There's a reason why the New Testament calls it the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the Ghost is a returned spirit of a departed human being. That could not happen uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it was just the Spirit of God. Uh, oh, but when he robed himself in flesh uh, and he laid in a tomb for three days uh, and on the third day uh, he got up with all power uh, in his hand uh, and he ascended uh, into the heavenlies. Uh, he said, I'm going to send uh, my spirit back. Uh, back to you. There's only one human being in the history of mankind that ever died and overcame death, hell, and the grave. And their spirit came back and it didn't come to haunt you. It didn't come to walk through your house rattling chains. But that spirit, that ghost came back to live inside of you and empower you to become Oh, I just need a few people in the building uh, that would shout, Holy Ghost! Uh, Holy Ghost! Uh, I got all them old songs on my heart tonight. Them old timers were singing. It's the Holy Ghost and fire and it's keeping me alive. It's the Holy Ghost and fire and it's keeping me alive. Hallelujah.
When you get full of the Holy Ghost, you ought to just start saying the Holy Ghost. It's not just the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Ghost. What's the difference, Pastor? I understand about resurrection power. I understand about the incarnation of God as a man. I understand the oneness of God. I understand that the Holy Ghost is the power to become. And so... We receive that one spirit when we receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was not given to you just to get goosebumps and speak in tongues and run the aisles on church on Sunday. But he gave you the Holy Ghost to put some wisdom inside of you. He gave you the Holy Ghost uh, to transform um, who you are. Uh, he gave you the Holy Ghost uh, to break dysfunctional thinking uh, and generational cycles uh, of behavior. Uh, he gave you the Holy Ghost uh, to change the way you talk uh, and change the way that you walk. Uh, he gave you the Holy Ghost. Uh, oh, somebody in this building uh, needs to understand uh, that when you receive the Holy Ghost, uh, you receive the Spirit of God that overcame death, hell, and the grave in sin. Read for me John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. But the Comforter, tell your neighbor the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. The comforter, the parakletos, which is the Holy Ghost. I can't even get started there. We'll be here another 30 minutes. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now, how many of you have a red letter edition Bible in front of you? Is, it, is this red letters? That means that this is Jesus speaking. He said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Read. Whom the Father will send in my name. Whom the Father will send in my name. Who's speaking? So the personal pronoun mine is in reference to who? And so if he says that the comforter will come in my name, what name does the Holy Ghost come in? So what is the name of the Holy Ghost? Oh, y'all are a good class tonight. Why is this important to understand? You see, this poses a problem for Trinitarian theology, so-called. Because they understand that the Scripture tells us that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. Now, if the Father is the Father, but the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary... And she bare a son. Then we have a problem here because that would mean that Jesus had two fathers. And not only did he have two fathers, but there was some schizophrenia going on here. Because the father and the son, well, the Holy Ghost father had the same name as the son. 
And if he was the father, why did Jesus say that he would come in his name? Y'all missed that. Why did Jesus declare himself the progenitor of the Holy Ghost or the comforter? If the Holy Ghost was the father. Because when you have a revelation that Jesus was the father. For there is one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He was the father in creation. He was the son in redemption. And he was the Holy Ghost in regeneration. When you understand that he is the father, he is the son, he is the Holy Ghost, and he's got one name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's why when you read Matthew 28 and 19, it is so powerful. I know a lot of apostolics that try to avoid Matthew 28 and 19. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture because it is even more specific. You know, there was, a, there was other people named Jesus at that time. Y'all know that. And then you had people named Bar-Jesus, which means the son of Jesus. If they were in Mexico, maybe it was Jesus. Y'all know anybody named Jesus? Are they the Savior? And so I love Matthew 28, 19 because there was specificity about who they were talking about. He said, go into all the world. He said, tell them that they need to, to be baptized in the name. Tell your neighbor the name. There's one name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Not every Jesus can be attributed with the Holy Ghost. Not every Jesus can be attributed as the fa being the Father. Or the son. So just in case there was any confusion, Matthew 28, 19 uses prepositional phrases in order to give us the salvific definition of who Jesus was. Because he wasn't just the father. He wasn't just the son. He wasn't just the Holy Ghost. He was the line of Judah. He was the lamb slain from the foundation. He was the root out of Jesse. He was the lily of the valley. He was the bright and morning star. He was the fair of 10,000. He was the shepherd. He was the bright and morning star. Oh, you understand? He was the firstborn from the dead. He was Alpha. He was Omega. He was beginning and he was ending. But when they begin to refer to him as a Savior, he was the Father and he was the Son and he was the Holy Ghost and he's got one name. Matthew 29, 18 28 19 said you have to be baptized in that name. What is the name of the Father? What is the name of the Son? What is the name of the Holy Ghost? 
That's why Acts 4 and 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Am I in the right church tonight? Some of y'all that are shouting right now, 10 years from now, I hope you still shout when a preacher preaches the Acts 2.38 message. Don't you ever get tired of running the aisles uh, when the preacher preaches uh, Acts 2.38 uh, and John, uh, John chapter 3 uh, and Matthew 28.19 uh, and Acts 4. Come on, somebody. Uh, we are a people uh, of the name. I love this stuff. I'm, I'm teaching a Bible study right now. Hopefully he does. I'm not trying to embarrass him. Hopefully he's not listening. I'm not going to say his name. But I'm teaching a Bible study right now to an attorney. And, uh, you know, attorneys are thinkers. And so I'm carefully wading through my Bible study, Brother Donnelly. I'm giving him answers to questions he hadn't even asked yet. <laughs> because later on when it comes time... And the Holy Ghost begins to open it up. He's already going to have the answers in his hand. You've got to get the foundation of this thing in your spirit. And so we receive the spirit of God. And upon receiving the Holy Ghost, we become partakers of the seven spirits of God appropriating them unto ourselves and then manifesting them to those around us. In the one spirit that baptizes us into one body are the seven spirits which John speaks about. Read for me Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Read for me 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. By one spirit are we baptized into one body. When you receive, tell your neighbor, when you receive the Holy Ghost... You receive the spirit of wisdom. He who is wisdom personified now lives within us to shed abroad in our hearts not only his love, but his wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Ooh, what we receive when we receive the Holy Ghost. From this experience comes wisdom that is from above. The Holy Ghost is from heaven. You'll remember last week when Jesus, when I, when I, when I talked about Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and he said, marvel not, I tell you, you must be born again. It literally means to be born from above 
The Holy Ghost is from above. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, it said, And suddenly there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. But it describes the Spirit as saying they heard a sound from heaven. It was moving directionally from the heavens. And so thus the seven spirits that are before the throne come into the earth realm through that one spirit resting upon the foundation of the fear of the Lord. Wisdom now begins to erect in our life seven pillars that will justify and support the structure. Wisdom, as people most often refer to it, can be acquired through time and experience by both saint and sinner. All of us need this kind of wisdom spoken of by Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 10. Read for me. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. There is a kind of wisdom that comes from life experience and comes from learning and from the vicissitudes of life and, and, and learning how to navigate those things and gaining information and knowledge and understanding. Sages of the past have passed from generation to generation lessons and skills that they have learned through trial and error. And generations build upon this wisdom, each succeeding uh, the age before them, and they gain more and more wisdom than what was had in the past. My prayer is that my boys are smarter than I am, that I'm able to impart to them some level of wisdom and understanding uh, that they can build upon uh, and that they can go further than I have gone. And while this earthly wisdom is well and good and needed by all of us, uh, our subject has to do with the spiritual realm and what the Scripture teaches. In this spiritual realm, we find two kinds or two forms of of wisdom. One of them I will deal with tonight, and the other I want to spend time on in the next lesson. Both of these realms or kinds of wisdom affect the inward person and originate from two opposite and opposing directions. Both types of wisdom affect the spirit, the character, and the conduct of people. The Bible is implicit that we are to shun and avoid one of them at all cost while we are to establish the other in our lives. James identified both kinds of wisdom, their origin, and their resulting work in our life. Read for me James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And so there are two kinds of wisdom. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is wisdom from above. So we've been talking about wisdom that comes through the influence of the Spirit of God in our lives through the Holy Ghost. And then there is wisdom that is not from above. As the Word of the Lord begins to describe the wisdom that is not from above, it describes it as being earthly. This kind of wisdom has its roots and its foundation in the understanding of simple man and carnality. It has its roots in the elements of this world. It is earthly wisdom. And part of what we have to understand about this wisdom is that the Bible says in one place that professing themselves to be wise, they are fools. Our best attempts at wisdom from an earthly perspective are mediocre at best compared to the wisdom that is from above. Man's greatest attempts at understanding and knowledge and wisdom pale in comparison to wisdom that is from above. Earthly wisdom. In one place, the scripture says that the Lord knoweth our frame, that we are just dust. Whenever we get to thinking how high and mighty, how smart and intelligent and wise that we are, God has to often remind us that our wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom and understanding of God. And so he describes the wisdom that is not from above as first being earthly. Secondly, he describes it as being sensual. There are two things to note about this. Number one is that this kind of wisdom is centered around the appeasement of our human desires. This kind of understanding is designed and its parameters are built around human limitations. We have five senses when you talk about sensuality. We often, uh, we often just uh, assign that to the idea of uh, immorality or sexuality. But anything that is sensual uh, is simply based uh, off the limits uh, of the human senses. What I can see, what I can hear, what I can taste, smell, and touch, the, 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 the five human senses, there is a type of wisdom whose basis is simply off of the limitations of the senses of mankind. It's what I see. 
It's what I feel. It's what I taste. It's what I smell. This kind of wisdom is limited because it is, it is only ascertained by the limitations of the human ability. God's wisdom doesn't need our eyesight. God's wisdom doesn't need our thoughts and our perceptions. God's wisdom doesn't need the information that we can gather through the human senses. God's wisdom transcends human ability. His wisdom is from old and from everlasting. He knows the end from the beginning. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he knows the thoughts and the intentions intentions of the heart but wisdom that is not from above is first early earthly then it is sensual and then it is devilish isn't it interesting that he ties demonic influence to the root of wisdom that is earthly and I'll get into that in just a moment he then takes those three categories and says there are two identifying factors that let you know the wisdom that you are dealing with is not wisdom from above. He says that its attributes are bitter, envying. Wisdom that is not from above produces bitter, envying. When people operate from a place of wisdom that is earthly, they will often find themselves in places of bitter envying. Now let me delineate the difference between envy and jealousy because we often refer to them synonymously when in fact there is a distinct difference between the two. Jealousy is an attribute of God. The Lord said that he is jealous over us. In one place, the Apostle Paul said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. And I love the way he explains it because he says, the reason I'm jealous is that I have espoused you unto one husband. I have tied you to a marriage of Christ. You see, jealousy, by definition, means that something belongs to me and you are trying to fool with it. And I don't want you fooling with it. For example, come here, honey. <laughs> I'm just using the Apostle Paul's example. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy for I have espoused you under one husband. She's got one husband. You're looking at him. This is my wife. All by myself. I don't share her with anybody. She's my wife. God gave her to me. Don't try to fool with her. Because she belongs to me. That is jealousy. I'm jealous 
over my wife. Don't wink at her or I'll dot them eyes. <laughs> y'all, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll be winking for sure. This is my wife. She belongs to me. There are some things we ought to be jealous over. When you're jealous over it, it causes you to protect that thing that belongs to you. Don't just come up and talk to her any kind of way. Woo. My boys learned at a very young age. She was my wife before she was your mama. Her and I made you. We brought you into this world. We will take you back out of it. Don't come, don't come talking to my, I know she's your mama, but she's my wife. You better watch your mouth, boy. I'm jealous. She belongs to me. Don't fool with her. Don't fool with what God gave to me. Thank you, baby. Swack. Seal with a kiss. But envy is different than jealousy. Envy is when somebody else has something and you wish you had it. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I like that. I'd like to have one of those. But it, when it begins to cause a problem in your spirit... To the point that you wish they didn't have it so that you could have it. Or it causes you to behave in a dysfunctional manner in order to try and get it. That is envy. One of the ways you can identify wisdom that's not from above is it produces bitter envying. I see, I see brother, come here brother Hammond. I see brother Hammond roll up to the church in a new car. And I say, hmm, nice car. I'm driving an old hoopty. And that's a really nice car. The first thing envious people will do is try to degrade what they really secretly want. Ooh, I feel like parking here for a minute. They become haters. Do you know that 99% of haters are really just enviers? The only reason they're hating is it ain't theirs. And so, envy will cause me to, ah, he probably paid too much for that thing. Oh, it's just the LE edition? Oh, I thought, I thought, it, I thought it was the custom edition. Oh, it looks like he needs new tires.
Envy will cause people to try and tear down what God is doing in your life to other people. It can be relationships. Oh, Lord. Go ahead, sit down. Where's Brother Matthew? Run up here. Quick, 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 quick. My God. If I tried that, I'd split my pants wide open. Get, get your wife. Your wife. Envy will cause somebody that don't have a husband or a wife to start hating on other people that do. And if you're not careful, boy, that spirit will get a hold of you and you'll start coming up with all kinds of things, reasons why that was wrong that they got into. That was wrong. They, you know, they got married while there was while there was COVID restrictions. True story. We just had a wedding ceremony in the middle of a prayer meeting, is what we did. And if they can't tear you down, they'll tear down things around you. That's why the Bible calls it bitter envying. And the only problem with envy, people are hating because it's not them. The only reason you're mad is because it's not you. Oh, they got a promotion on the job, huh? Figures. They're just a kiss up anyway. Now, if it was you that got the promotion, you won't be want everybody to congratulate you. But wisdom that is sensual and devilish and earthly causes bitter envying to creep up. And all that is, is unbelief in your life. Somewhere you've gotten discouraged. Because things haven't come to pass the way you wanted them to. It's caused you to get bitter with other people. That's why the Bible says that we are foolish when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Oh, see, y'all were all right when I was talking in the esoteric level about wisdom, but this is wisdom in action. Wisdom that is from above says don't compare yourself with other people. Did you see Preston driving that new car? Yeah. Wonder what he had to do to get it. Bitter envying. Unbelief at work in our lives. But when you've got wisdom that is from above then you begin to understand biblical principles. Principles that say, be not weary in well-doing. 
for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Woo! Wisdom tells me that there's a due season. If you really believe what God's word says and you get wisdom that is from above, everybody understands uh, that you have a due season uh, with your name on it. And it doesn't matter what's going on uh, in anybody else's world. Uh, when it's your season, uh, nothing can stop uh, what God wants to do uh, in your life. Uh, when it's your season, uh, God will open the windows of heaven uh, and pour out a blessing. Uh, and he won't ask anybody's permission. Uh, he won't take a poll uh, and get anybody's approval. Uh, he's just God. God, uh, and he'll work his work uh, in your life. Wisdom will understand what the Bible means when it says, y'all see why I felt like we just needed a couple weeks to get this all done. This, huh. Wisdom will tell you that the Bible says to rejoice with them that rejoice. You got to learn how to get excited with people when God's blessing is in their life. The reason you can't be happy with other people is you're not happy with yourself. You got to learn how to get excited for other people. I might be struggling trying to keep the lights from getting shut off at my house, uh, but I'm going to run up to Sister Mandy Jones uh, and I'm going to say, my God, uh, what an awesome miracle that God gave you, uh, a beautiful new uh, home. Uh, what's happening? I'm rejoicing uh, with them that rejoice. Uh, that's wisdom uh, that's from above. Um, if I can believe it for somebody else, uh, it'll start to breed a spirit uh, of expectation uh, in my own life. Uh, if God did it for them, uh, I know God can do it for me. Wouldn't it be foolish to start hating? Wisdom that's not from above produces bitter envy. You got to learn how to walk with God and understand somebody else might be in the spring and I'm in the winter time, but just a few more months, you hold on uh, and the season's going to change. Uh, and when the season changes, uh, there's going to come a moment uh, when I'm standing in the sun uh, and the rain is causing all the things uh, in my life to blossom uh, and to bud. Come on, somebody. Uh, you got to believe I've got a blessing uh, with my name on it. Uh, and what God has for me uh, is for me. Uh, and there's nothing you or anybody else uh, can do about it. Bitter envying. The second thing that this verse tells us is a byproduct of wisdom that is not from above is strife. Read that for me again, that verse, that one verse, James chapter 3. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. 
Where bitter and envying and strife is, there is confusion. And every evil work, strife, what does strife mean? Strife means you can't get along with people. When you operate from a mindset or a wisdom that is not from above, you'll find yourself in constant conflict with people. Can't get along with this person. Can't get along with that person. Always in a state of turmoil. Always in a state of fighting. Always in a state of arguing. That's a telltale sign that I'm living my life by the wrong kind of wisdom. Come on, church. It's a telltale sign that I'm living my life from the wrong place of wisdom. And from that, it produces confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. It produces confusion and every evil work. If this kind of wisdom controls our lives, the scripture goes on to tell us, don't glory in it. Don't just keep marching forward embracing that kind of thinking. Repentance is in order. And it is the only remedy and deliverance from this kind of wisdom. Somewhere we have to find an altar where we get on our knees and we begin to denounce this kind of thinking, this earthly wisdom. Someplace we have to find an altar uh, where we begin to denounce uh, this kind of ideology that is driving our thinking and our behavior. Wisdom of this type originated in the Garden of Eden when Eve saw sensual that the fruit of the tree of knowledge was to be desired. To make one wise. Read Genesis 3 and 6. Musicians, come and get ready. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Satan, this, this is where I believe the writer ascribes the definition of this kind of wisdom being devilish because it has its roots right here in the book of Genesis where this kind of thinking is introduced to Adam and Eve. Satan deceived Eve into thinking that if she and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree, that they would acquire a, a wisdom that up until this point was hidden from them. Earthly wisdom will cause you to start thinking that you are missing out on something. It'll start causing you to, to feel like that something's being withheld from you. And when you begin to perceive every situation through earthly wisdom, you are limited to the senses of mankind, which are subject to deception. She looked at it 
she saw that it was to be desired and to make one wise. Not everything that looks good is good. Not everything that has the appearance of righteousness is righteous. That's why if you're going to make it, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you're going to make it in these last days, you had better have a prayer life. Where you are walking in the Holy Ghost. And you are not just relying on yourself to understand situations and understand things because the enemy doesn't operate in the dimension of the carnal all the time. He is operating in a dimension of the spirit. That's why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You have to find a place where you are tapping into wisdom that is from above. God, give me discernment. God, let truth resonate so strong in me that it overrides human wisdom. That it overrides just what I see and just what I think and just what I feel and, and the emotions and, and all of these things. Lord, I don't want to navigate uh, my days and my future and my destiny uh, simply by my own human wisdom. I've got to have wisdom uh, that is from uh, above. Uh, and so, God, that's why I'm on my knees uh, and I'm asking you for wisdom, God. Uh, I'm asking you uh, and I'm laying my understanding down I'm not leaning to my own understanding Lord I'm acknowledging you in all of my ways God I need you I need your word I need the Holy Ghost I need your hand to guide me and to lead me I can't keep moving by earthly wisdom Upon surrendering to Satan's deceit, humanity became candidates for this earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. A wisdom that has brought havoc and harm both to humankind and the kingdom of God. This kind of wisdom produced confusion. Adam and Eve didn't know what to do. It produced shame. We realized we were naked. It caused them to hide. Worst of all, it brought separation between them and God. I feel an urgency in the Holy Ghost tonight in this house. As we navigate the day and age in which we live in, we have got to have a walk with God. We have got to pray in the Holy Ghost. 
We cannot navigate this world with, with our, just our own understanding and our own, with somewhere we have got to have the discernment uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, working in our lives. God, I want you to reveal things to me. Uh, God, God I, don't, I want you to reveal things. Don't just reveal to me things about people and situations. God, I need you to reveal things about myself. God, I need you to reveal some things about me uh, that I don't see, uh, that I don't perceive, uh, that I'm not understanding. Lord, uh, it's not my neighbor, but it's me uh, standing in the need uh, of prayer. I wonder if there's anybody in this house tonight uh, that feels like responding uh, like the book of James, and you're, you're saying, God, uh, I need wisdom tonight. God, I want wisdom um, in my life. Lord, uh, I need it tonight. Uh, would you give me wisdom, God? Uh, wisdom Wisdom in my daily affairs, uh, wisdom in, in in my relationships, God. Wisdoms in wisdom in my decisions, God. Give me wisdom uh, as I go from day to day. Come on, all over this house, uh, would somebody just lift your hands uh, and lift your voice for the next few moments in this place? Uh, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Come on. Uh, Come on, all over this house. I need wisdom, God. I need wisdom in my spirit. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it, all over this house. All over this house. Oh, God.